0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Conversations from the NF Podcast. It's National Adoption Week and we're delighted to speak to birth mother Christy. She shares her story of the challenges of having her children removed and how she's managed to build a life after that event. The story is not uncommon, domestic abuse and mental ill health being at the start of it, as well as a failed letterbox arrangement after social care professionals miscommunicated to adoptive parents. Christy now volunteers with PAC UK and seeks to support other birth parents as well as affect change in the adoption system. As always, if you have experience of adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective, personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please get in touch through the Facebook page, the app formerly known as Twitter, or you can email us at anfpodcast at gmail.com. Hi, my name
1: is Christy and I am a birth mum of two daughters who were free for adoption at the ages of three and one years old. I am also a mum to my son, now 17 year old, who I have brought up on my own with no intervention from Child Protection Services. Um, I'm gonna read my story to you because it's just easier for me to, to get everything I can across. Um, yeah, so I'll start with this. From the age of 16 to, tw- to the age of 21, I was a victim of domestic violence. I was hospitalized several times and on a few occasions left for dead. The relationship with my family had broken down to the point my mum had planned my funeral. I was young, vulnerable and had a traumatic childhood. I had the same social worker for around three years. And in that time, two daughters. I tried getting away from the ex-partner a few times. I remember not being old enough to get a property so I was moved to what was meant to be a woman's refuge, refuge but found myself surrounded by drug addicts, sex workers, in an environment not suitable for me or for the children. So went back to the ex-partner's family where the relationship would rekindle. Within months, the drink and the violence started again and the social workers gave me my options. To so either move out to refuge or court proceedings would begin to have the children removed. My mental health had declined at this point and I was suicidal. Because of this, no refu- refuge would take me in and the children were moved into not one, but in all, three homes before the final court proceedings. My mum had contact every Saturday at her house and I had free, contact three times a week in a contact centre. Uh, I've got a little bit here of my, what my mum's done um, and I'm just going to read it out and it's just memories of what she's had for the last 16 years. In all, my grandchildren were moved around three different foster carers. I remember the first foster carers taking the children on holiday. When they returned, the foster carer decided fostering was not for her and she would be giving it up. The children were moved to a second foster home where the foster parents had their own children who were a similar age. And as the week passed, I noticed a a change in my eldest grandchild. Waiting to be picked up one day, she held my hand so tight with tears in her eyes. Looking up at me, when the foster mum asked what was the matter, she said nothing and was taken to the car. I waved her off, holding back the tears. As the weeks went on, I remember the foster carer was not sticking to the agreed time set for the children's visit with me. What was meant to be a full afternoon turned into an hour or two of a visit. After a few weeks, the foster carer decided she would also be giving up fostering. The children would now be moved on to their third foster carer, who was also oh, was an elderly lady. Although the children seemed to be a lot more settled with this lady, I, find my, I found myself walking on eggshells. I was told I could not sing nursery rhymes in the normal terms and should change my wording. I was told not to give the children treats and the youngest should be given organic food only. I couldn't believe what was being asked of me. These were my grandchildren and if I wanted to spoil them, I would no matter what. I remember the final phone call I I received from the children's guardian. She told me the final hearing had taken place and the children would be removed from their mum's care. She told me my daughter had put up a very good fight but as for reasons such as homelessness, the girls would be adopted. This broke me and my family. There was never any offer of help. I was left to just get on with her as if these children were nothing to me so by the time the final hearing had come I was homeless I knew this would be a main factor that would go against me in court I remember my final talk with the barrister and him telling me this was a 50-50 chance when the judge confirmed my children would be removed I brought to my knees I begged the judge just to let me get a property but she told me I must grieve How do I grieve two children that were alive, healthy and well? I still ask myself that question. Not long after the hearing, I found out I was pregnant. There had been no violence or drinking for a period of time. We were allocated a new social worker who went above and beyond for us. This was a totally different experience than what I had experienced with the previous social worker. Unfortunately, when my son was six months old, the ex-partner raised his hands to me again. I moved 50 miles away from home with a baby, a pram and a black bin bag of clothes and spent nine months in a wonderful refuge where I got some absolutely brilliant support and even started building a relationship with my mum again. This was a slow process as I had broken her heart and she was scared of getting close to her own grandson just in case the same would happen again. The only contact I had with the girls was letter-to-box contacts once a year. I remember waiting anxiously for those letters. Just to know the girls were okay made me feel a little at ease. Unfortunately, this was stopped after only three years due to failings of the local authorities. In these three years, a trainee social worker would visit me once a year to help write the letters. It was really hard to write these letters by myself, as I was not allowed to use certain terms such as "mom," "brother," "love you," which and these things could upset the adopt that could upset the adoption family. The social worker would take notes of what I would like to what I would have liked to said in the letters. She would go back to her office, type up the letters, and send them on the way. I never got to see the outcome of these letters. I didn't know what was sent in them. Um, in 2008, I received a letter from the local authorities telling me that my letterbox contacts had been stopped due to my letters being too hurtful for adoption adopted mum. I was in disbelief. What could be so hurtful about my own children? At the time of receiving these letters, I was having after adoption council, and then known as after adoption with then known after adoption Yorkshire, now known as PACU Care. The council was in shock in what I was telling him. He made a call to the local authorities to try and get me some kind of explanation. I remember getting a verbal apology over the form from the head of adoption, but nothing in writing. I do not remember if my letterbox contact was reinstated. What I do remember is having to make a choice of closing a chapter of my life so I could be mentally and physically strong for my son. So I started working part-time and I had a great support network around me from a local shoe store where I became a volunteer and took many courses that helped me occupy my mind while caring for my son on my own with very few friends to help. Still to this day, I have no contact with my children, but in 2022 did receive a copy of the letters that were sent out to the adopted parents and I was disheartened with what I seen. Not once or twice, but at least several times, my children's names were all spelt differently, as if I did not know how to spell any names of my children, who I had named myself. After five years of living in my new environment, I knew it was not the place for me and it wasn't a safe place for my son and I made the decision to move back to my hometown to be with my family. A social worker visited me from the local authorities to make sure the ex-partner was not around. Holding a 4 for a piece of paper in my face, she started asking me who the names and addresses were, which were found on my files. The list started with my family members. And then at the bottom, the social worker pointed and asked, who were these names? It was the full names of the adopted parents, the children's names and their full address. I couldn't believe that. I had an instant urge to search them up on social media platforms, but with months of searching, I gave up, not finding a thing. Although I knew where they were and I, knew, I I could have gone to the address, I never, because I knew the girls were soon to be teenagers, I had to put their mental health first, as I knew from my own childhood the pain that this could cause. Around two years later, something triggered me to search again and soon enough I found the girls. I worked out who was mum and dad and sat back for years looking at photos, painting a picture of their life in my head. I have to admit, this filled some of the void I was feeling. I knew they were healthy and happy, and that's all that mattered. This gave me some peace of mind. Fast forward to the COVID-19 pandemic. I was five years into my career working in the construction industry. And in the second lockdown, working from home in what felt like a lifetime of being locked behind closed doors, my eldest child would be turning 18, and this would be playing heavily on my mind. My mental health was declining, again and I knew I needed some help to prepare for some kind of reunion wanting to do it the right way so that support would be in place. I searched high and low for after adoption support and found the charity PAC UK. I did not want to go to the local authorities because still to this day I cannot find it in myself to trust them. Whilst making a referral with PAC UK I found out that it would not be possible for a reunion until my child my youngest child turned 18. I was most probably told this from the beginning, but these are the things you forget and train yourself to put in the back of your mind. I call it the blocking mechanism. It was not until recently I worked out I first received help back in 2008 from PAC UK, then known as After Adoption Yorkshire. After the girls were freed for adoption, no support was given to me and it would be over two years before I found any help at all. I was referred to after adoption Yorkshire by Women's Aid, and at the time received four sessions of counselling. I do believe that if I was not in contact with this counsellor at the same at, at the time, I would never have got an apology in regards to my letterbox contact being stopped. The counsellor helped me to see it was possible to move forward in life. I remembered the counsellor being very reassuring and understand, under, understanding. It really did help to talk. Going back to 2021, when I found Park UK again, I referred myself as counselling or any support they could offer. There was a little wait before I was allocated a key worker. When my key worker rang me and I told my story for the first time ever, I felt like I was being listened to without judgment. She was so understanding and generous with her words. I would go on to have six sessions of counselling and at the end of them six sessions, I was starting to see adoption in a different light. My key worker reassured me I was not on my own and in 2022 asked me to come along to the birth family group in Manchester where I could meet other birth mums just like me. I had never done anything like this before but really wanted to meet people who shared the same story as me. Very nervous and not knowing what to expect, I found myself sat in a room full of young mums. I sat there and I listened to their stories. I found it really hard as it brought back so many memories of when I was at the beginning of my journey. I was shocked that nothing had changed in nearly 20 years and these women were going through the exact same process as I did all them years ago. After attending the group, I went home and I cried non-stop for about two weeks. I went through so many emotions, not just for me, but for them young mums whose journey I knew had just begun. I had an urge to go back to the next meeting to support these girls on their journey. If I could give them just a little bit of hope that they can move forward in life, I would have achieved something out of all this, and I have not missed any, many groups since. Pack UK have given me a voice. In 2022, I joined other bear families along, alongside Pack UK to talk to the House of Lords in Westminster, London. This was in regards to the Children's and Family Act Review 2014. We were given one hour hour to answer questions on the impact of the birth family, the legal side of things and letterbox contacts. Me and the other families had never met before, and it wasn't until we were talking to the House of Lords, we heard each other's stories. It was emotionally hard what we did, but we came away feeling listened to, not judged and feeling very powerful. I now take part in twilight sessions for potential adopters where I speak as a birth mum. I use my experience to help others understand what it's like to be a birth mum. We talk about what it's like to go through proceedings with no support, language used in reports and how it can be potentially fabricated into something else. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a demonstration of that. So, when there was a time that social services came to the ex-partner's family house and knocked on the door they didn't want him in i went to the door and i was talking to him and i i, I was most probably angry because i didn't want them there so in a report that they are written they they put down that uh i was forming at the mouth i was spitting and i was forming at the mouth and they sent me on a to do a drug test basically these drug tests came back absolutely clear. Now, what they didn't put in that report is that I was foaming in the mouth because I had a broken jaw. Um, that wasn't stated. It wasn't put down. And I like to let the, the adopted parents know that sometimes language that is used in reports can be fabricated into something that it is not. Um, we also talk about the effect on the wider family, including my son, who was brought up on a fairy tale that once he reached 16, he would meet his sisters. This has now impacted him and he is, and it has still not happened. Identity is another subject we cover, and I like to talk about the importance of keeping the child's first name, as this is all they have left from their biological family. Where am I now? Through the years, I dreamed of reunion and what it could look like. Unfortunately, it has not happened. I was close to making contact a few m- months ago, but after getting advice from another, other do- adoptees and the knowledge of what I know now through s- social media and other things, I decided to take a backbench and wait to see if the girls contacted me. Um. Yeah, and that's my story. <laughs> I
0: mean, it's... It's a remarkable story. And when you start to unpick some of the, the little things or what seem like little things that have really big implications, um, and you know, just, yeah, so there's, there's loads of things I, I could ask questions about, but I just want to thank you really. Cause I think you, I know that sharing a story is really hard and you've not shared it that much, have you?
1: No, so I went live for a National Adoption Week last year with PAC UK, but my anxiety came through more than what the story most probably did because I'd never spoken out. Um, I've spent years up until 2021. I wouldn't say lying about what I had been through, but it was easier to keep it to myself than to be judged. I Mm. suppose I spent many years being judged and not understood. Um, and it wasn't until I found Pack UK that I felt able. I was valid. I think I was validated, mm-hmm. and being validated meant so much to me. Just it ho- opened a whole new chapter to me that, in fact, what had happened to me was okay. It well, it wasn't okay, but it, yeah. it was real. It was real, and it did happen. And these feelings and my mental health and oh, everything that I've been through was real and it happened it, it did happen whereas before i felt like i wasn't allowed to talk about that um i had to pretend it wasn't real and that was the wrong way of going about things
0: so i mean it, just thinking about it i mean it's, it's nearly 20 years ago isn't it since that all of those events and um every i was just thinking about whenever you meet new people you just whether that's socially or you know romantically or start a new job is there this how do you sort of process do i tell people you know when people say oh you got any kids what what is yeah. is there a right answer for that no <laughs>
1: <laughs> no there's not there's not a right answer <laughs> for it so um at the beginning when you meet new friends um it was always i had one child until i got that trust with my mm. friends and then I would tell the story I found that because I was in a domestic violence relationship um I have always r- struggled with relationships since I try not to and when I have uh tried to to, to have a relationship and the girls have come up um it was used against my Um, and in any way that they could. So I tend to stay away from relationships now because it just makes my life so much easier. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's difficult. Um, But now that I have support, I find it so much easier to talk to, uh, to talk to people about it, to be able to explain my situation easier than what I have ever done before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so what are people's I mean other than romantic, what are people what what are people's responses to you? Because it's you know, you like you say you're working in construction, you've got a job, you've got a career, you yeah. You're not so, that person.
1: So in 2021, when I talked about then um working from home and stuck in the four walls, and I I I remember this, like it was yesterday. I rang my manager and I just related everything out like it all just came out at once and that and um there was no understanding there was no understanding of the impact of what Covid had done to me what had been going on beforehand and how it had all just come together and exploded like a bomb so my manager didn't ease up on me. She wanted me back in the office. Um, I don't drive. I was travelling 50 miles by train every day to go to to go to go work. Um, it was hard. It was hard. I also had my son at home. He was coming up for his GCSEs, mm. trying to keep him on the right path and make sure that he was ready for his GCSEs, a build-up of everything. And it got too much to me to the point of I had to leave work. I had to come out of it. I had to come away from everything, give myself time to reflect, Um, and I suppose come to terms with. I've actually just reached out for help, something that I I suppose I did all them years ago. I did go looking for more help, but what I was coming across was like social media when in Facebook got to its you know to its high high height in that in what two thousand eight two thousand and nine. A lot of things on adoption was all American everything yeah. was about America and I was struggling to find anything to do with the UK and adoption um, so I couldn't I could I, I could maybe read a few posts on people's feelings and relate to it but the process of what I'd been through I had never met anybody that had been through that same process of me and it wasn't until we went to parliament and Angela Fraser-Wicks was there uh, Lady MBE should I just say might add <laughs> Um, Angela told me part of her story and I nearly broke down I nearly broke down because it was the first time that somebody had opened up to me told me a story who was just like me it Hmm. was just like me it was the first time that I've met anybody and I could say oh my god I am not on my own I'm not on my own, there's somebody else out there that's just like me Um, that made a massive difference so yeah, the lack of support held me back. Not understanding myself held me back. Most probably not understanding adoption of what it was either held me back. And it's only been since I went to Parliament. I wanted to know more about this Children and Families Act 2014. So I really dug deep. So every time there was a broadcast broadcast on Parliament TV, I was there with my pen and paper thinking, what does this mean? What are they talking about? I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to go back and ask the questions. And that's where my journey, I suppose, of of learning about adoption as a whole started from. And then I came across you guys, and you've become a part of my everyday weekend life on a Saturday. You were blasted out all around my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what? I have learned so much just listening to your guests, just listening to different backgrounds of people from, and you've got such a diverse people that, you know, i have been on your podcast and that. And I, learnt, I do, I take so much from every person that comes on. And what guy, you guys talk about, you and Scott as well, um, I also listen, I, I also took time to listen to the Two Goods Mum, Mums po- podcast as well. Um and it's just been a learning curve, mm. a learning curve since. Um, and I think I wanted to I wanted to learn more because I wanted to be able to go to my girls with a better run of a, a better understanding of maybe what they may have been through, um, questions they might have when it when the day comes. Um more preparation, I thought. But it's turned into a journey now of where in January I'm looking to start to be a counselor, training as a counselor uh, with my local college. And I feel I might as well use my experience to put some good in this world. And um, uh, yeah, I mean,
0: it's a remarkable, you know, it sounds like it, you know, I'm just it's praise upon praise but i i just often meet, you know meeting you and thinking about the journey from that you know that incredibly vulnerable you know teenager mm. to now it's it's an ongoing journey and i know that you're also involved um, pack uk as well your that relationship is 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 growing and do you think you're seeing a change amongst the sort of the birth parent community as you're now sort of connected into it are things changing are they going in the right direction
1: <sighs> good question um baby steps it's like baby steps we hear things we hear a lot and it sounds brilliant about change and contact and maintaining them relationships but we're not seeing enough action is how i'm mm-hmm. taking it now i think the conception of adoption is t- changing to those that are not involved in adoption it's becoming stories are becoming more public now and people there's more people speaking out um, but I still believe that there is a perception of adoption that's just put onto people as if you are bad people, and that's that's not the case. It's not the case for everybody. Um, we have to acknowledge that there are some dangerous people in this world, and there are children that suffer. But I always make a statement when I when I talk to potential adopters, for example, I make a statement of contact should be arranged when proved safe to do so mm. and only when proved safe to do so because the complications can be devastating if it's not. And that should be a gradual thing. I know we've got letterbox, but what should be standard is a review. Every so many years, What? Well, how can we build on this? How can we make it better? Is it safe? Has the Bay family moved on? If they haven't moved on, okay, that's fair enough. You stick to that letterbox and that just for now until you know that that then parents or parent is whatever part of the wider family it may be, are in a position to to have a better open contact. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, uh, it is. It feels like there's a momentum at the moment that, that we've not seen in the past and the voices of people like yourself who've, whose children have been adopted uh, is growing. Um, what what do you hope for for the future?
1: Um, I hope for, What do I hope for the future? Um, of- the government. The government and all those above open their eyes and maybe don't listen to me. Listen to the adoptees. There is an outcry of adoptees out there crying about their identity. And I believe that every person in this world deserves to know where they came from. Um, I, I, I don't think the government and those above have a true understanding of mental health and traumas. I don't believe that all of them are trauma-informed and have a, a, a real insight into actually what does go on behind closed doors. and. Yeah. I think that needs to be addressed and i think that so before it gets to adoption and that early intervention um mainly with child protection child protection is put in place for a reason but the things that we have now the the resources we have now if we could use them to prevent these adoptions going through come on because we have to admit we are we have courses for adopters to become adopters we have a lot of training for them but if we use them resources to be with the birth family beforehand and try and pre- pre- prevent some of this it would make such a huge difference and there wouldn't be an outcry of looking for places you, you know for the for the an outcry of oh, I don't know I don't know how to word it um, well- I suppose that. I
0: was going to say that I I get what you mean is that we see, especially National Adoption Month, which it is, and you see the news and the publicity that's all pulling on people's heartstrings and saying, oh, these children need adopting, these children need adopting. And it's a really simple message that hits home really hard. But there's so much more going on, isn't there?
1: There's so much in the background that's not seen and not spoken about. And it's the unseen and the not spoken about. Mm. And then you've got people like you will see a comment on Twitter or something and they'll just jump on and they just and the, it's their opinion, but they're not getting what they're saying. Hmm. They're not thinking it of a, as a wider thing. It's not that this child has... It could even be that this child has never been hurt. So in my case, my children was removed on a likelihood of emotional harm that never happened. Uh, like I said, I brought up my child, my son, for 17 years with no interference from the local authorities... Um, and that's just proof in itself that I could be a parent and I could look after him. All I needed was that right support and to be put in the right place to get away from this ex-partner. Um, and it took, from, it took a completely different social worker as well to come in and do that. And this was a male social worker who... And I'm not sticking up for the ex-partner, but he brought things in that the last social worker with the girls never did. So for the violence, they got him a gym membership for his anger issues. They put him on courses for domestic violence. They got him a job in volunteering. And all these little things were making a difference until he picked up that drink again. And then Mm. I knew, I knew then that not a chance I was risking another child and I was gone. Yeah, um, but that social worker approached us differently than what the first social worker did. He was more trauma informed. He he had a better understanding of why domestic violence was happening, and he actually I actually remember him asking me a question that somebody else uh, that the other social workers had never asked me, and it was a question of why why are you in this relationship what has happened previously and what had happened previously and I didn't know until I got into my 30s my childhood traumas were taken into my adult life and that was domestic violence between my mum and dad where my mum had to get out and keep me safe and, and the violence was against me as well so that's where it all stemmed for my mental health as a child we had to move from a private area to a council estate, which was a big thing for me. I'd never, I didn't even know what Nike Max trainers were. I was dressed in fairly big dresses and very old-fashioned, um, was my mum, kind of. She's going to kill me for saying that. Um, but um, it was a whole new life where I had to find myself and fit into this, I suppose, this council estate area, which was full of, I won't say gangs, but... It was the 90s. It was the 90s and you had to fit in, you had to you had to fit in. Yeah. Um, and I got in with the wrong people because I wanted to fit in in that area. I wanted to be part of it. And that's where it all stemmed from. But nobody helped me with that. Nobody helped me to get over them traumas of what I had actually been through. Um, nobody questioned me about it either. And I think that if that was questioned earlier on, and if I had had some kind of counselling or therapy to talk through what I'd been through, it would have made a big difference in how I was looking at domestic violence in the relationship that I was in. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i a social worker and um, you, I guess anecdotally, you, you see families where there's sort of these sort of themes loop and domestic yeah. violence is one, they kind of loop yeah. And they come back around and round and round, and it's and it's normalised and all those really complicated things. But I mean, I want to say, you, you know, I think I, I want to commend you for your honesty and your um your bravery and and you know and well done for getting out of all of that. And I hope that's not patronising, but you know, no, um, thank you, no, 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 and um, and so this National Adoption Week, you're also back on again with Angela Fraser Wicks, and so that'll be um uh, if we can use the magic technology, I'll maybe link that in the podcast notes. Um, Thank you so much for speaking to me and I wish you well with your future plans.
1: Thank you for having me.